Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football has just turned its sat-nav on so it can make the short journey home. Meanwhile, the match of the tournament thus far was played out in Amsterdam in a match befitting the undertones of Clive Tildesley and Ali McCoyst on ITV between the Netherlands and Ukraine. Also, Austria and North Macedonia helped bring joy to a great day of football and we were all welcome for it after Saturday's event. This is the Euro Daily Podcast. I am Jake from What If Football. You can find this podcast anywhere where you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Amazon or Spotify. And whilst you're there, give us a lovely five-star review. Boost them algorithms. Give it a like. Give it a lovely little subscribe so you can follow the Euro Daily Podcast right up until the tournament's conclusion on July the 12th. Also, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash whatifffootball where you can also listen to this podcast. We have got... Seven days a week content after the European Championships podcast, uh, football manager content as well. But let's dick in to this show today. Up the three lines. So let's go to Wembley where the the big game on Sunday was and the wait was finally over. Three years without international tournament football and England were playing Croatia again. Let's forget about the Belgium third place. <laughs> and uh, surprise, surprise, as I predicted in the uh, hours leading up to the to the uh, kickoff, where the team news was leaked five hours in advance for some reason, Gareth Southgate got a little bit of flack, didn't he? A lot of people worked with Kieran Trippier playing at left back ahead of Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell. I immediately thought it was perhaps to nullify Atletico teammate Sim Vasalko on the... Uh, Right-back role for Atletico Madrid, Southgate hinted that it was more to have experience beside Tyrone Mings to coach him to coach him through the game to calm him down a little bit. Also, Southgate's game plan, as we could see in numerous aspects, that the fullbacks weren't bombing on. It was the job of Mason Mount and Calvin Phillips to do the uh, inside midfield work out um, out on the uh, channels, on the half spaces, as we say. 
They allowed Mount Phillips, also Foden, obviously, also Sterling to uh, go forward, whilst the the back four was pretty much a flat back four. Obviously, Trippier and Walker would play a little bit higher, but they weren't they weren't modern fullbacks. Modern fullbacks are essentially wing backs, as they are in uh, in this day and age. And this, to be fair, left Croatia's pressing a bit of a mess. You got Ante Rebic and Ivan Perisic not knowing when to press and not knowing to block the passing lanes and they didn't do that all too well either. Also another thing that obviously irked a lot of supporters was the fact that Grealish, Jack Grealish wasn't starting either with Raheem Sterling who hasn't had the greatest season, he himself will admit that, but he is very much of Gareth Southgate's plans. I think the only times he has been omitted from the England squad under Gareth Southgate since the World Cup has been against Montenegro in 2019 and that was for disciplinary reasons. I think it was after the Joe Gomez um, clash. Um, so he's played he's played every game aside from disciplinary issues and injuries, etc. Um, he played well against uh, Croatia here, to, here yesterday. He played well in the semi-final in 2018 as well. And um, it was the same front six that Southgate played against Poland and Albania in March. So there's clearly been a a tactical plan probably laid out since March, probably since the semi-final in 2018, and he just cobbled together the players for March. And the plan was pretty much executed to perfection. England were decent through the middle. Phil Foden on the out wide looked to easy, looked like he'd been playing tournament football all his life. And of course, he almost broke the deadlock early on, didn't he? Um, everyone in my house... Uh, we're ready to cheer when that one hit, hit the post, but it wasn't to be. Uh, Foden, I thought, started very brightly, obviously, with um, with that chance, uh, but faded slightly. I think there'll be a big, big tournament moment for him later on down the line, perhaps with that Gaza haircut against Scotland on Friday night, but we'll uh, we'll see more on that one. Uh, the best player in an England shirt was obviously Calvin Phillips. He had a volley, which uh, stung Livakovic's gloves early on, which uh, looks as though that were destined for the bottom corner as well. And he was absolutely everywhere, wasn't he? His energy broke the lines. Obviously, there's that graph of Leeds sprints in the Premier League. Obviously, Phillips a huge part of that. But he played more of a eight rather than the six that he does for Massa. Marcelo Bielsa's leads. He was further upfield. He was making passes higher up. He was more of a box-to-box midfielder, really. And so you can forget the comparisons to Andrea Perlo. He's less Yorkshire Perlo, more Yorkshire Tardelli. And maybe we'll get a uh, Tardelli-esque celebration when he scores in the final, <laughs> which I'm not holding out too much hope for. But it was a very, very assured um, assured performance from Phillips, who, let's not forget, only played top-level football nine months ago. So fantastic display from the Leeds player. He even found himself beyond Harry Kane. He was going out to that inside right position as well. Harry Kane obviously dropping deep as he did did for his uh, club this season. And I think Phillips bombing on and going sort of into an inside right position, taking up the spot between Domagoj Vida and Josko Vardio, the uh, inexperienced left-back playing in an unfavoured role, really. There's a clear target in there. There was a, a definite pattern of play between Ford and Phillips and Mount there targeting uh, the young left-back who's actually a centre-back, but uh, there we go. Um, people discussed John Henderson for his experience, whether or not he's fit or not is a different issue, of course. They discussed Jude Bellingham for his dynamism, his vibrancy, his young and exciting and all these things. He did come on and become the youngest ever European Championships footballer, let's not forget. And everyone, probably with the exception of Leeds fans, has overlooked Calvin Phillips, me included. 
Um, but he was fantastic. I'm glad he proved me wrong. He was superb. His ball progression led to the Raheem Sterling assist. He was composed in uh, gifting Raheem Sterling the ball. And likewise, Sterling was composed in finishing it right down the throat of Livakovic. But it counted. It went in. And um, obviously, this is something that Sterling hasn't been in front of goal for England, at least in tournament football. And it's his first tournament goal, of course. Um, he was Sterling was great at uh, driving beyond Kane into these offensive areas, these inside forwards. Foden and uh, Sterling whilst Phillips and Mount was uh, providing the whip really for England and uh, Sterling you can see why Gareth Southgate trusts him really and he would have had an assist to add to the goal as well if that Foden strike went in Harry Kane on the other hand outside of that missed chance that he perhaps could have tucked away I don't think he was too bad he's run off the ball for example made the uh, made the goal because it opened up an absolute acre of room for uh, Sterling and Phillips to thread the, thread the ball through and on the other hand, Croatia, I thought they were absolutely atrocious, to be honest. They offered absolutely nothing. I think their XG was 0.4, 0.5, something like that. Uh, the midfield three of Brozovic, Kovacic and Modric on paper, more than good enough to quell this England midfield on paper. The experience they've got, Kovacic, you know, well, uh, Champions League winner numerous times. Oh, uh, yeah, he's not been on the pitch too much. Modric, though. He's won four European Cups with Real Madrid. Uh, Kovacic, I think he's on four. I think he's on four. The uh, the Chelsea one and three Real Madrid ones, but don't quote me on that one. But I think that is. But Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips, players who've not even played continental football, not even played Europa League, not even played Champions League, and obviously uh, European champion Mason Mount did enough to box them in. And in the end, it was the energy of those three against. Modric is the aging legs. Obviously, he's, he's probably had probably played more than he was to be expected at Real Madrid this season. So perhaps he's not the freshest in that midfield. I would have thought they would have gone for Milan Baldel to uh, shore up that uh, defensive line. But Brozovic and Kovacic, obviously, more than couldn't do that job. There was no outball for Croatia as well. Ante Rebic, Andre Kramaric didn't offer much. Perisic was surprisingly quiet. He was caught in two minds in the press, as I uh, previously stated. And I don't think he was... Um, Definitely not at the uh, nightmarish best that he has been against England in uh, previous contests. Um, they, they didn't... I can't remember a single chance that they truly tested Pickford. There was obviously long-range strikes that he uh, gobbled up quite easily. There was a few skewed efforts when they got into the, the rare occasions they got into the box, but the game was pretty much played in the midfield and pretty much England in a complete 180 for the semi-final where Croatia, with Rakitic admittedly as well, controlled things against a midfield that featured Ali, Lingard, Henderson. And I I think it's definitely a sign of Croatia in transition as well, but obviously exciting English midfield. Vardiol at left-back, he was puzzling, as I say, he was, uh, he's a centre-back. I think Barisic, um, who knows where he was, he would have offered a lot more um, to Croatia going forward. And that's not to say Vardiol's a bad player, it's just he was played out of position. Um, but aside from that, the team, they should have offered more. I think they'll squeak through in the end. Uh, Scotland will be a tough task at Hamden, depending on what happens there with uh, today with Czech Republic. Um, and they were a lot worse than what I expected, really. Um, but for England, I think it's the perfect result. Not the huge win that earns tons of hype, not the dropped points that would pin pressure onto them. And Southgate, really, um, going into the 
to go into the huge contest, um, all home nations class against Scotland on uh, Friday. And it was the biggest match in terms of two teams fighting each other so far in this tournament, two solid teams, two teams that got to the semi-finals of the World Cup, of course. And um, in terms of opposition faced, is it potentially the most impressive result so far? Because the big teams, so you've got Belgium and Italy, they've played and won quite handsomely, but Belgium beat a very, very poor Russia team. Italy beat probably a less poor Turkey team, but still 3-0. Um, should we compare them? Can it be compared to Belgium and Italy? Um, I think it's too early in the in the day yet. I think um, when uh, locations get moved, so when England play outside of Wembley and when Italy play outside of Rome, we'll uh, know a bit more, so that's outside of the group stages really and I think around the last 16 time you can sort of tell who's going to win the tournament there and um, in terms of Jack Grealish not starting I've got a a kind of an explanation here I'm of the belief that Southgate will heavily rotate for every group game so he's got players in mind for four different games and I think if there is ever a game a game that suits Jack Grealish it's England versus Scotland, and it, for me, it just fits like a glove. The uh, it's going to be it's going to feel like a Premier League game, and Grealish just loves getting on the ball. He'll drop deep, get the ball. He'll uh, do a few dribbles, draw a few fouls, and against that, uh, probably drop deep into the midfield, and against that Scottish midfield, which is fairly strong, um, which we'll see today. I think that will be quite an enticing battle um, in a whole host of battles in that match, which will be fantastic, and I'm already looking forward to it. And it does look as though with Southgate playing a 4-3-3 as opposed to a 3-4-3, which everyone, if you seem to remember, was clamouring for the 4-3-3 because it means you're more attacking. Um, but yeah, obviously, people just need something to moan about, don't they, on their Twitter? Um, and I think they will play 4-3-3 throughout the group stages, um, if Croatia can't hurt us, who can? Um, there is a sense that Southgate was playing 4-3-3 to match Croatia because they were going to play 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, but Vlasic, uh, Vlasic didn't start and and uh, Vlatko Dalic went for a three in midfield, probably with the semi-finals from three years ago in mind as well. Um, is there cause for optimism? Well, let's put it into perspective. Uh, it was England's only their thirty fifth winning tournament football since nineteen sixty six, and four of those came in the came in the World Cup three years ago. So tempered optimism, um, but that will all hinge, and it was always going to hinge on the game against Scotland this Friday. And obviously, a win there assures us of qualification, assures England of qualification, and. Hopefully, then it looks as though it's going to be one of the big hitters from Group F. Obviously, it's impossible, as I've said, to try and plan, try and plot a, an easy quarter of the draw. You're going to have to play the good teams at some point. Obviously, they were very lucky in the World Cup, only playing Croatia in the semi-finals, Belgium, of course, in the group stage game, which helped that easing of the path that much more. Um, I don't in a 24-team tournament, it's best just to get on with it, win it win the group and just do as best you can and then see what's what in the last 16. England were were punished with a nil-nil against Slovakia in 2016 and then got fed Iceland, which on paper, it obviously was probably easier than a Northern Ireland team, which would have been a huge home nations clash in Paris um, five years ago. And But the, the, uh, the half of the draw that England wound up on, they were never going to win the tournament with that 
because you had France in the quarterfinals and it would have been Germany in the semifinals. So there was absolutely no chance with obviously that Roy Hodgson, Harry Kane taking penalties, Wayne Rooney in central midfield team, that they were never going to trouble anything anyway. And obviously Wales gathered the momentum in the last 16, beating Northern Ireland, beating Belgium. Obviously Belgium would have been a hard task for England, but it was a, it was so much easier a half of the draw if they'd have won the group. So I think in a 2014 tournament, don't mess around, just get the points on the board and then let's see what happens in the last 16. And I think Southgate will rotate heavily so they won't be the same problem as in 2016 where you've got four points on the board, you've rested a couple of players, or 2018 to be fair, rested a whole host of players, almost rotated the entire team and then um, end up being in a stickier situation because of it. And obviously it goes without saying the England Scotland game is the most important group stage game of the entire tournament. Uh, maybe group F aside, but um and yeah, it's gonna be a fantastic treat, isn't it, on Friday night, eight PM under the Wembley lights. After this short break, we've got a twenty twenty one trivial tease and a whole host of you got this one right, so I'm gonna make it a little bit harder today. We are back. So well done too. Jake Collinson, George Spencer, Pazza, SAFC, and the FT LOL podcast, fantastic podcast. Check them out on uh, Apple there. They all said Cesar Espiliqueta, and it was Cesar Espiliqueta. So we're going from a defender to a forward today, a forward who has been managed by Ronald Koeman and the great Tony Pulis himself. He has played under such luminaries as Lionel Messi, Paddy McNair, Antoine Griezmann, Adama Traore and Martin Derone. Again, he was a forward who has played alongside Ronald Koeman, Tony Pulis, played underneath Ronald Koeman and Tony Pulis, and he's played alongside Lionel Messi, Paddy McNair, Antoine Griezmann, Adama Traore and Martin Derone. If you think you know the answer, tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube. You will find out the answer on tomorrow's show, the ninth episode of the Euro Daily Podcast. After this short break, we'll be covering the other games from yesterday. We've got Netherlands and Ukraine in a barnstorm, and we've got Austria and North Macedonia in a decent enough game, and we're going to preview today's matches as well. Welcome back. Let's start off with the other games that was last night, and that was Netherlands and Ukraine, the only one starting point, really, um, or as I'm calling it, chaotic good. And the game burst into life with all the tactical nous of an under nines game, it was the, it was all over the shop, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Um, you got Genie Wijnaldum extremely high, playing almost like a ten alongside uh, Memphis, who was showing his ball carrying abilities early on. He was pretty decent early on, and uh, Vout Vegas was the uh, classic number nine. Um, but in all honesty, the Dutch were so high, it seemed as though if they lost the ball, lost possession, one ball over the top would do. Roman Yaramchuk would race onto it. But it just never happened, did it? Um, in all honesty, this isn't a vintage Dutch team, is it? Um, the volatility of the game didn't really suit Frankie de Jong. To me, he's more of a calm, possession-based midfielder who who could do with a structure behind him and spraying balls out to left, to right, to the wing-backs, to Wijnaldum inside and obviously up front to Memphis and to Memphis and Veghorst. But... That, that didn't happen, did it? Uh, Vegas was feeding off scraps. Um, the chances rather fell to those around him. Denzel Dumfries, right wing back, exceedingly high. 
Um, he missed a couple of golden chances in the first half, but I thought he was a very uh, bright spark in that very, in that first half. Easily the Dutch's best player across the uh, across the ninety minutes. Provided the second goal for Vegost, and of course um, won the tie as well. Um, it was a good day for the big Wolfsburg man Vegost, um, getting his first tournament goal for the Dutch in his first tournament game, and the first goal came a few minutes prior, which was kind of haphazard Ukrainian defending there. It was a bit of a mix-up at the back. It was akin to Thomas Munier's uh, goal against Russia the previous night and Wijnaldum capitalised on it, struck it into the top corner and we were away after a goalless first half, which was extremely chaotic, but neither team could really find that edge. Of course, the Netherlands these days are lining up in a in a 3-5-2 and Prior to the game, a banner flew over Dutch training, uh, telling Frank de Boer to ditch the formation, but he didn't, obviously. This is like the reverse Mike Bassett, where journalists and fans are hounding him to ditch the 4-4-2, which is a narrative that runs through the uh, film, and uh, that eventually Mike Bassett screams, England will be playing 4-4-F in two in a press conference against Argentina. Maybe, maybe we'll all grind down Frank de Boer, and in the last press conference of the group stages he'll immediately say, we're playing 4-3-F in 3, and the Dutch fans will get what they want. I'm unlikely uh, to uh, back that as a something that's actually going to happen. But it would be nice to see a nice little bit of uh, life-imitating art there. Coming into the tournament, obviously, with uh, the banners, it infers that the mood is low, and it is very low, um, thanks in part to performances in friendlies against Scotland and Georgia, um, but the beauty of this three-five-two, um, at least in, at least on paper, <laughs> at least uh, was Dumfries playing so attacking that he could uh, almost act as a winger, bring width to a team where Memphis would uh, tuck really into the left. Obviously, you've got Patrick Van Arnold on the other wing, uh, wing back role bombing on as well. Uh, but the majority of the width on the right was produced by by uh, Dumfries there. But the amount of gaps that he left behind, the amount of gaps that the entire team left behind, in all honesty, uh, was insane. You got Urien Timber and Dali Blind almost into a three-man midfield with Daron. Frankie De Jong was just roaming about as well, slightly ahead of him. Uh, De Vrij was left almost on his own as the sole Netherlands defender. Um, and equally insane to this sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, was it like a one four three one one? I, who knows? Equally insane was Ukraine's inability to capitalise on it. Ukraine was sitting so deep in parts. I think it's based on the trust of uh, Matvienko and Makalenko in the defence that they could um, sweep up any balls. Obviously, Makalenko at left back often tucked in, so he's more. It's more of like a central three and then a right back. Um, Zabani, he's a teenager, but he didn't look out of place at all. I think he had a good game um, despite the scoreline. Alternatively, up front, I don't think many of Ukraine's forwards looked re- quite good. Yaramchuk was forcing his teammates to uh, get higher up the pitch, but Ruslan Malinovsky didn't have the best game, really. Yaramchuk's link-up, we saw slight glimpses of his lovely back heel uh, for a teammate that could have resulted in a penalty, but there wasn't any touch on the uh, the man or the ball, to be fair, but it was just a dive, it didn't get punished. Um, I was slightly disappointed with Yarmolenko in the first half, especially, um, he was... He was he isolated Deli Blind, left centre back for Netherlands. Time and time again he isolated him so often. And obviously his party trick is cut inside, left foot, goal. 
it just never happened. It, it was it, it, the thing that you're waiting for, the thing you've seen tons and tons of times for West Ham and his other clubs. It just never happened, and Ukraine just didn't take advantage of it. They focused, they did focus their attacks all down the right, but Yamalenko never. It, it was obvious. It was. He's a bit like Iron Robin, where he's. I'm not going to say he's a one-trick pony, but he does exactly what you expect him to do, and there's nothing that opponents can do to stop him. But he just never did it, especially against Blind, who's not the most mobile of defenders, really. Ukraine looked too terrified to attack a frail Netherlands defence. It's without, they were without Mathis De Litt, of course, who picked up a groin injury, obviously without Virgil van Dijk as well. And it was just infuriating to watch because despite being at home, I thought Netherlands were quite average. Um, but still, you do have to say that they were they played well enough to win it. Even though Frank de Ball looked like he didn't want to, and he uh, with a with a score two nil up, he brought Deli Blind off and Van Harnal off for Nathan Akeno in Weindal, who I predicted to start those positions, but instantly the defense was a mess. Instantly Ukraine came back in, and as we say, even the layman who knows relatively little about Ukraine will know that Yamalenko cuts in on his left and what did he do with 15 minutes on, left on the clock cut in on his left one of the goals of the tournament if not the goal of the tournament perhaps we saw a better one earlier on in the Macedonia game but uh, he let fly the Dutch were punished and fantastic one of the great goals of this tournament uh, will be when we look back on it as well and uh, they were punished and it's weird because of all the defensive fragility of the shape or lack of shape that the Netherlands had defensively. The goal they conceded, or both goals they conceded, didn't come from, didn't come as a result of the system that they were playing. It was just a, a goal out of nowhere where, you know, Yamalenko cuts in on his left, nothing he could do about that. And then from a set piece where Yaramchuk got a front post header and Yaramchuk's my golden boot dark horse, I've put him on. Um, I don't know if he, he's going to uh, get it, but he's got a goal against uh, the big team in Group C and he's got two favourable games now. So um, I'm hoping Yaramchuk, I saw glimpses that I liked in his performance yesterday. Um, so with two chances that are absolutely nothing, the Dutch have just thrown it all away. Two completely avoidable goals, really, because if they'd have closed down Yamalenko, it could have been a uh, blocked chance and then obviously set pieces are always avoidable, really, aren't they? Um, but then the man of the match won the contest, Denzel Dumfries, and getting that header on the back post is uh, one of his first international goals, if not his first international goal. Um, and it was the game of the tournament, it has to be said, by some distance as well, just for the excitement of it. The second half was superb. I think Wales and Switzerland is a second place, for now anyway. And why it was the game of the tournament is why exactly Neva won't do much of the Euros. The Netherlands are probably about as bad as you thought and Ukraine might not be as good as you thought going into it. Ukraine of course had a bit of a tag of dark horses they of course pipped Portugal to win the qualification group they were seeded for the tournament as well and um, the Dutch obviously the transition from Koeman to Frank de Boer isn't isn't really the best is it and uh, the changing system late on in the day doesn't look as though it's doesn't look as though it's um, going to benefit them at all. And my prediction of last 16 might be uh, about to come true. We've obviously, if it falls wrongly for the Netherlands, if they win the group, they could be facing the third place from Group F. So it could be France, Portugal or Germany, probably Portugal or Germany there. 
the filling in between the bread of um, Netherlands, Ukraine, England and Scotland was the juicy filling of Austria, North Macedonia. Macedonia played three at the back and four at the back for Austria. Alaba was playing kind of a central role, sometimes a sweeper, sometimes out wide. And Austria, really, they began to... Their form of late, really unexciting, quiet, not really dangerous. And then suddenly, a peach of a ball from Marcel Sabitzer on the left wing. Find Stefan Leiner on the back post, and this is the finish that I was talking about, potentially goal of the tournament. Hangs in the air and then just like a little flick with his... Uh, in-step, superb volley, deft volley on the back post, and I thought it was an absolutely exquisite finish when I saw it live. Understated slightly, but um, fantastic opener. And I think this was the the story of the game, the quality from Sabitzer and Liner in there was found in little pockets of the Austrian lineup, and I think that's what won it ahead of uh, North Macedonia here. Alaba's assist was for Gregoric was out of this world, the assist of the tournament, the whip that you got on that, that cross from the left wing was fantastic. And then obviously Arnautovic came on, Marco Arnautovic came on and provided a lovely little give and go in the air and rounded the keeper. And that was the third bit of quality in the game, really. And it only needed that. And Austria scored three goals at a major tournament for the first time since 1978. Obviously, it is their first win at a European Championships. And now I think, despite me... Uh, Waving the flag for Sasa Kalajic. I think if Marko Anatovic is fit, he has to start. Unfortunately, Kalajic didn't have a great game. Missed a chance in the first half. Couldn't get a toe on the end of a cross. And if that goes in, I think it's a different story. I didn't see much of a presence about him, which is bizarre for a uh, a man of six foot seven frame. And I think Austria probably, uh, probably have done enough now for qualification into the last 16. And because of the goal difference as well, depends obviously what happens in the Ukraine game. That will be absolutely key. May even finish second now if they can get a result out of Ukraine. Um, the the goal for Macedonia was a shocker, wasn't it? Let's just be honest. Um, the, Austria would have been mad if they would if they wouldn't have won this game. They won it fairly late on, uh, two goals in the last twelve minutes. Um, you'd be seething if you didn't win because of the absolute shocker from the goalkeeper there. Um, and I think that just says a lot of things. Now. Not having an established, confident number one will lead to those things. Goran Pandev, obviously, his experience shone through. He nipped onto the uh, loose ball, poked it in. And the man who sent North Macedonia to their very first tournament, fittingly, scores their first tournament goal. Perhaps their only tournament goal. We'll see how they get on against Ukraine. And the Netherlands, this was, of course, their easier of the three group games, on paper at least. Elif Elmas, I thought, was intricate looking. He showed little glimpses of what he can do. Um, I think there's enough there to believe that Macedonia might cause Ukraine problems. Alioski, I thought, bombed on to a, an alarming degree on the left, which perhaps in part was um, manufactured liner's goal on the back post there. Um, but I do think that they could get a point. I had a sneaky feeling that they could get a point today. Ultimately, they didn't. But I think they can be competitive. And you've always got that niggling feeling in the back of your head. The 2-1 win in, uh, in Germany in March that Macedonia completed. They could easily do that to the Netherlands. Uh, all they need is a good structure. Obviously, the Netherlands, as we saw, surely they can't be as bad structurally as what they were last night. But it's possible, isn't it? And I think it's... Uh, I think that the Netherlands... 
they'll, they'll go through the group, you know. Obviously, they've got the win, they'll go through the group. Um, but getting much further than that, I'm not too sure about that one, really. Now, let's preview the last, uh, preview the next few games that are uh, coming up today. First up, we've got the, f- the wait is finally over, the 23-year wait for Scotland to play a tournament football match. That is at 2pm, Scotland versus the Czech Republic. And with Croatia's defeat to England at Wembley, it makes this game incredibly important. A win here could see qualification almost assured, obviously, a goal difference pending there. And I think Scotland will be confident, obviously, the psychological advantage of playing them in the Nations League last autumn, beating them twice. Admittedly, they uh, didn't end up gaining promotion. Czech Republic gained promotion somehow uh, because of Scotland's late losses um, to Israel and Austria in that one. Um Obviously, the second or third string that Czech Republic put out in uh, at home counter to one of those wins, but Scotland beat them at Hamden. They're playing this game at Hamden, of course. So there is a little bit of a good omen about this Scottish team. Obviously, it's one of the best Scottish teams they've had for a while, a generation or two. Um, meanwhile, Czech Republic are European Championships mainstays, which doesn't mean to say that, that they've been any good. Um, they've, I don't think they've made a dent in the tournament since 2004, really. They've not won a Euros game since a 1-0 win over Poland in 2012. We all know the qualities that Thomas Socek will bring in that midfield, and I'm really looking forward to that midfield battle with you know McTominay, two box-to-box midfielders who have shone, outshone quite a lot of midfielders, bigger names in midfield in the Premier League this season. And I, that's one the big battle that I'm looking forward to. Obviously for Czech Republic, the danger men are Patrick Schick centrally up front and Sampdoria's Jakub Jankto who loves to drift in onto that right foot. Liam Cooper on the left of the three will hope to nullify Jankto and Schick, obviously hoping for a similar performance to his Leeds teammate Calvin Phillips today. Also look out for Alex Kral in that double pivot in the 4-2-3-1 and Vladimir Kufal's crosses, which could catch a... Uh, a Scottish team off guard with uh, TNA and Robertson playing on the left flank. They do like to interchange, but if they're for any moment they uh, get caught in two minds, Vladimir Kufal will will um, capitalise on that with Patrick Schick in the middle as well. That could be that could be the avenue of success for Czech Republic. But I have got a my British hat on. I'm going to say Scotland will just eke out a one goal win here at Hampden. But I'm very looking forward to. Uh, Scotland playing an international tournament once more. The next game of the trilogy today, we've got Poland and Slovakia at 5pm. And yeah, it might not be the most fashionable, the most exciting match in the uh, game, but a win here for either side will put them on the right tracks for qualification, like any game in the first round first round of group matches at this uh, 2014 Euros. All eyes will, of course, be on Robert Lewandowski, 41 Bundesliga goals this season, in a battle with Milan Skriniar, in the Slovakian defence, and that's the key battle there. But for all of Lewandowski's goals in a club shirt, in a Bayern Munich shirt, he's got one goal in 10 tournament games. That goal in Euro 2016 against Portugal in the quarterfinals. He, of course, scored in the opening game of the 2012 European Championships for Poland as well, but obviously the World Cup was quite the disaster. Let's not forget Piotr Zielinski, or Arkadiusz Milik as well for Poland going forward. Or for Slovakia, Robert Bozinek, who uh, I outlined is one my one to watch. And obviously they've got Andre Duda knitting things together as well for Slovakia. And you cannot forget the Slovakian talisman, Marek Hamsik. But how fit is he? That is the big question going into this game. 
it is a golden opportunity for momentum as well. If you get that one win, you're one eyes technically on the last 16. You just need to keep that defence shored up there. Um, the last time that these two competitively met was in the qualifiers for the 2010 World Cup. Slovakia winning twice on that occasion. Slovakia winning the group and Poland finishing an unbelievable fifth in the group, even behind Northern Ireland in that one uh, before Northern Ireland reached their their peak in uh, 2016. Poland's only competitive win out of the four games that they've played was the very first one in uh, June 1995, which was a 5-0 home win. The reverse was a 4-1 Slovakia win. So I'm hoping for something a bit goalie like that one today. And we round things off with Spain against Sweden, the game between two teams ravaged by covid Sergio Busquets has had it. Spain have seemingly found themselves enveloped in a in a pre-tournament drama. Three years ago, it was Julian Lopetegui taking the Real Madrid job on the eve of the tournament. This time, it is, of course, their battles with COVID. And Busquets won't play. It looks like it would be Rodri, which is a fair, fairer swap. A lot of players, a lot of people might have been uh, plumping for Rodri anyway. But obviously, Busquets is a captain. He's got that obviously innumerable tournament experience. Selection worries is the drama. Uh, I do. I would love to see Pedri start for Spain. That would be that would make my day. Obviously, in defence, they've got probably Pau Torres and Amrit Laporte. Maybe Eric Gassi will get the nod, but I would like to see Pau Torres and Laporte on paper. They're their two best centre halves, and Pau Torres will know all about Alexander Isaac. Sweden, of course, have COVID worries of their own, but Isaac, Isaac. 21-year-old, plays his football in Spain, plays his football for Real Sociedad. He's had a fantastic season and he's their talisman up front in um, in the possible absence of um, Dejan Kudlazewski as well. The Spanish team, obviously going back to their COVID worries, they only got their jabs, their vaccine on Friday. Uh, to put it in perspective, me, an ordinary person um, with an unimportant job, I had mine the day before. So surely, how does that even happen? How do you know when the tournament, you know that the tournament's been taking place on a certain date and you knew that Spain's match would be against Sweden pretty much 18 months in advance, give or take a couple of months there. How, and with a vaccine readily available for, you know, a number of months, how would you not, you know, put those ducks in a row, get vaccinated um, if they are to get vaccinated, if they want to get vaccinated? So it begs a question now with a couple of days, some people, you know, have uh, side effects. You know, I couldn't move my arm for two days, which, you know, nobody will be able to take a throw in. Um, will any of them suffer from that hangover that you get after the jab um, is one thing to look out for for Spain. They might be a bit sluggish in the early uh, early knockings. And also, also, let's not forget, they're playing it at the height of summer in Seville, which isn't the best decision ever made by UEFA, is it? Um, probably 35, 40 degrees. It's a good job to play it fairly late on in the day, but... Spain, I've got a, a mid-afternoon, late-afternoon kickoff in Seville, of course, playing all their games in Seville at the Olympic Stadium there. And it, it'll be warm to a point that it won't even help Spain. It'll just hinder the match. Um, and I think it's just a stupid decision to put it there. Maybe somewhere in the north that would have been far more uh, amiable for both teams. And going back to the last competitive fixture that these two played, it was, of course, in qualification for this. And Spain needed a late, late goal in Stockholm. Rodrigo scoring on 90 minutes. So this one, hopefully, will be as competitive as that one. Tomorrow we'll be reviewing those three games, Spain, Sweden, Poland, Slovakia, and most importantly, Scotland versus Czech Republic. 
and of course previewing the two Group F fixtures Hungary versus Portugal France versus Germany the big one you can catch this podcast and more other podcasts on our podcast feed Acast, Apple, Amazon Music and Spotify also the Euro Daily Podcast will be on Patreon patreon.com forward slash what if football where after the tournament we'll be giving you lots and lots of uh, bonus content for just £3 a month if you'd be so I'll be so grateful if you could uh, contribute any type of money really because we are living in hard times aren't we really and um, yeah I'd be so generous of you and I would be greatly appreciative of that now I often end these Euro Daily Podcast episodes with up the three lines but I'm not not going to today just for one day only today I'm going to say Mon the Tartan Army Mon Scotland Sports Social Podcast Network Okay, round two Name something that's not boring a Laundry? Ooh, a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry We were looking for Chumba Casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.